Um, Hi everyone, I'll be reading the Bible today. I've got two passages. Um, if you want to follow on, there's these lovely Bibles at the end of your pews. The ones with the bows on are not because we like wrapping things because it's Christmas, but it's because you can take one home if you wish. Um, so if you don't have a Bible, I would recommend you do that. However, um, the pages on the screen are the ones that we're going to be following here. Uh, so let me read the uh, two passages. So the first one comes from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he, he because himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Uh, the second reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind them in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it, thinking he was in their company. They traveled on for a day. They began looking for him along their, along, among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in, and in favour with God and man. This is God's word. Um, thank you, Jen, for your kind words. I did indeed have a birthday yesterday. And my teenage children, my sons, I should say, like watching Breaking Bad. Any Breaking Bad fans here? I made it past Walter White's age. I smashed past him. Um, uh, but I had a good day yesterday. Went to see Amadeus, which uh, I don't know if you've seen the film, but the film is a little bit about God and a lot about Mozart, but the play down at the Opera House is a lot about God and a little bit about Mozart. And I don't know if you get a chance to go and hear it or see it. It wasn't cheap, got it for birthday. Then go and do that. So that was good fun last night. Hey, um, it's uh, summer church, 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. combined. And um, the idea is that we create services that are just simple and within the hour, give or take five minutes. And, um, and that's because, you know, it's a beautiful season of lightness and um, so we make things a little less heavy and uh, away you go into the beautiful summer evening. Some of you will go down to the pub and uh, to the Lord Nelson and, uh, and grab a bite to eat down there or maybe a beverage. Uh, there, there are some of us, about uh, 17 of us, that are going to go on a tour of the rocks. Anne, is Anne here yet? She's not here yet. She's coming in a little while. Anne is a, uh, a uh, uh, um, 
a tour guide of the rocks and has been for, for many years and is a genuine tour guide. She's not the free one that says a few words and moves on. She's done all the hard work. She's a historian, really. And uh, I put a note out during Facebook this, uh, during, uh, on email this week and about 17 or 18 of you replied and you'll go on that tour probably about uh, 10 to, to 6 or something like that. But I really do invite all of you to stick around as long as you like or go to the pub and some of the tour people will join you perhaps afterwards. I don't know if you have ever recognised this, but we actually know what, well, we actually know what Jesus' first recorded words are. We don't know what his first word was, but we know what his first recorded words are. Does anybody know? Put your hand up if you think you know. You're all shy, aren't you? You heard it a moment ago. Why were you searching for me? Jesus Christ, why were you searching for me? Now he says it to his parents, and the effect of it is, if you knew that I must be in my father's house, you probably wouldn't be searching for me, at least in this way. But I love the question, why were you searching for me? And today's message is for those who are genuinely searching. Not those who are pretending to search, plenty of that going around, but those who are genuinely searching for him. So let's pray. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, you shared our flesh and blood by being born of Mary. You are, as a human being, our merciful and faithful High Priest, you taught us to call your Father, our Father. Thank you for making that possible. Teach us now the goodness of the one we call Father. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. Amen. It is then worth noting that we each come to church at different points in our faith. Some of us here this afternoon already believe in Jesus, you know it, you're convinced of it, you follow him with your heart, soul, mind and strength, even when you fail, you delight in God's grace, you're in. Some of us, on the other hand, will never believe the Christian message. And maybe we're not even sure that we're in that category of never going to believe. But in the end, you believe your own reasoning over the Bible's message, even if you can throw in into the mix some Christian values. You're still not a person who says yes to following Jesus rather self, rather than self. Some of us could choose to believe Jesus this afternoon, right here in your seats. You know you've been holding back for no clear reason. As the scripture says, today is the day of salvation, may it be so. But I want to speak to another set this afternoon, those who aren't ready to believe but could someday, you really could because you're open, but you're not there. You have questions that need answers and you're actually willing to ask them. You have conundrums, you need resolution, you know what they are. You listen but you hold back, but you wouldn't hold back if you could clear a few things aside. Today I have a practice, a discipline for you that might bring you home, but it's also a practice and a discipline for each one of us, even if we follow Jesus Christ. It's something we can learn from Mary, the mother of Jesus, although I hasten to add that Mary didn't flinch when she heard God's 
word. And I can't think of anywhere in the Bible where this practice is so clear than in Luke chapter 2, verse 51. By the way, it's, this practice is all the way through the Bible, through the Psalms, Psalm 88, through the New Testament, but it's no, nowhere clearer than here. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. The Greek word that's translated treasured is the word to keep, um, to keep special, so the King James, but his mother kept all his sayings in her heart. Eugene Peterson, when he wrote the message, rendered it thus. His mother held these things dearly deep within herself. In January, we're going to learn from Mary's life. The series is called Studies in Mary. A sword will pierce her soul. In the series, we're only saying what the scriptures say. And I know there are various traditions, namely the Roman Catholic tradition and others that venerate Mary. And I did a little Googling today, and I tell you what, there's a rabbit hole of stuff you can go down on Marian Mariology. We're not going down that rabbit hole. Rather, we are staying with the scriptures, although it's fair to say there aren't many mentions of her in the New Testament, uh, less than Peter, more than Thaddeus. She has a huge place at the beginning of the story. She's involved in the life and ministry of Jesus. We'll see that next week. And she's present at the cross and after his resurrection. This is the first time we've done a series on Mary at Churchill, and I'm hoping to learn from her. I am learning from her. So far in the series, we've learned that Mary was, Mary was not cynical or hard or hardened or closed. May your word to me be fulfilled, the teenager said to God at such remarkable news from the angel. And she magnified God, her little self. She said, in my humble estate, I magnify the Lord. We learn from her. And last week we learned that the first time that we're told that suffering will be a part of the Christian life is Simeon's word to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. So far. This afternoon, four questions. What is it then to treasure something in your heart to keep it there? What did you treasure that day? Why was it treasure at all, perhaps on a later day? And how can we be like Mary? What is it to treasure? What is that discipline, that activity? What did she treasure? Why was it treasure? And how can we be like Mary? So firstly, what is it to treasure something in your heart? Well, it's to keep it close, something close, something that you perceive to be important, even if you don't yet know what it all means or even why it's important. You keep it there on faith because you believe deep down, even without understanding it, that it will mean something vital later. And you keep it there because you're not willing to give it up. You believe in God, and God's told you something, and you don't understand it, but you're, you keep it there as treasure because it's important. You know it's important without knowing its significance yet. It is to witness something or see something or more likely in our circumstance to hear or read something in the Bible that challenges the status quo in your life, but since you don't fully understand, you keep it there as treasure, not as junk. You might say a seed that you're hoping will sprout with some sunlight and water. 
My wife, Laurel, is you know, a bit of a wordsmith, and um, she's a very good wordsmith, and she used to do haikus. And here's one of my favourites. You might not be able to see this, but she used to set them to graphics. I'll take that on board means I'll take it and toss it off the other side. You heard your boss say that before? Good idea, Bill. I'll take that on board, meaning I'll toss it off on the other side. To treasure something in your heart is to do the opposite of that, to take it on board and keep it there, to be open to a later understanding, and hopefully soon. And I've got to tell you, I live my life by this axiom. Just because something in the Bible is a mystery, and there's plenty in the Bible that's a mystery, just because something in the Bible is a mystery, something from the lips of Jesus is a mystery, doesn't mean that I toss it off the other side. This idea happens twice in Luke 2. The first time is 2 verse 19, back at Christmas time. The shepherds have an appearance from the angels. They come looking for a baby in a manger. They say to Mary and Joseph, he's the saviour, this baby, Christ the Lord. The shepherds spread the words. The people are amazed. But 2 verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart, which I think is the same activity. She didn't toss it off the other side. The second time is in the passage that Sam read to us a moment ago. His parents have lost the boy Jesus. They find him in the temple, teaching the teachers, age 12. When they find him, they're astonished, not at his wisdom, but at his behavior. 2 verse 48, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus, a young boy, flips the filial coin Verse 49, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? You say, wait. His father's house is in Nazareth. That's where his father's house is with Joseph. So what's going on? They don't get it. Verse 50, they did not understand what he was saying to them. And you might be the same too when you come to church. I don't understand what's being said or its implications. So what does Mary do? Verse 51, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Now, I'm not an etymologist, but I'm told, and Greek and Latin speakers can correct me, I'm told that the word skeptic had an original meaning different from its current meaning. Today it means a habitual doubter, a constant critic about the claims or beliefs of others. I'm sorry you won't persuade me, I'm a skeptic, you might say. I can't be persuaded, I'm a skeptic. The skeptic society is a society that exists to debunk other people's ideas. I got interviewed on Sunrise once opposite the guy from the Skeptic Society. It was a fun conversation. But, you know, it's not that he was a rude person. He wasn't. He was a lovely fellow. But he was, his job was, what's wrong with what other people believe? But originally, the word meant thoughtful, reflective, holding back, for sure. That's why it came to mean what it currently means, holding back while you consider and research until it is clear what to do with the thing that you've just heard. It's from the Latin skepticus or from the Greek skeptikos, one who reflects on, one who considers. Under the original definition, we all ought to be skeptics. I'm sorry if you're not one. It means you're closed. 
And indeed, in a world where judgments are passed so quickly, where speed is king, where you have to show your colors in order to be sort of deemed moral, think social media, who's bad, who's good, who's right, who's wrong. Maybe we need time to slow it down from time to time to consider what's being said, to keep it until a later revelation comes along. A woman from 8.30 said to me, um, she pities the current younger generation coming through because she said, she's like 85, she said, when I was younger, the only thing you could do was keep it in your heart. You know, you heard something and you just, I mean, you know, you could write in a diary or talk to your family a little bit, but you didn't, you know, the process of like, withholding something until later judgment was sort of all you could do, really. And I'm sure she's um, idealistic about her age. But she comments that today in a social media world, you've got to hear it, make your judgment immediately, and then make it clear. But the word has a new meaning. It means someone who never believes claims, always sits on the fence, always a critic, can spot always what's wrong, can see through everything and never believes. C.S. Lewis had this to say about the cynic. I love how C.S. Lewis cuts through, ironically. He says, if you see through everything, because you're smart, you can analyze, you're a scientist, you can figure it all out. If you can see through everything, then everything is transparent. But a wholly transparent world is an invisible world. To see through all things is not the same thing, is the same thing as not to see. You're always looking through glass, never at a thing that you believe because you haven't taken a stand. The Gospels are full of people hearing and not understanding and yet not rejecting what's being said until a later date or a revelation from God. Often it's until Jesus has risen from the dead. An example is the transfiguration in Mark 9 verse 10. They kept the matter to themselves discussing what rising from the dead meant. Okay, that's one. Two, what did she treasure on that day? Well, let's go through the text. You've got it open in front of you. Luke 2, it's a remarkable story. And it's all we have as Jesus as a boy. It goes from baby to adult. Verse 41, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. It's the Passover. That will be important to treasure in your heart. Joseph and Mary, as Rob said last week, come from a context. They are faithful Jews. They're pious Jews. And so verse 42, when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. The journey from Nazareth to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is a number of days' walk. Jesus is 12 years old, which is an important age when a boy in that era, in that age, in that context becomes a man. An age where his father was supposed to teach him about God. You know, you're no longer a boy, you're going to become a man, so we're going to talk talk to you about meeting with God at the temple, about redemption at the Passover, and presumably when they got to Jerusalem, Joseph did just that, pointing out the sights and the sounds in Jerusalem. The Jewish Mishnah described ancient Jewish customs thus, they should not cause children to fast 
on the Day of Atonement, but rather they should train them one or two years before they are of age, say age 12, that they might become versed in the commandments. So Joseph's done just that, and then they return home, but on day one of their journey home, every parent's nightmare. Verse 43, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a whole day north. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. We find out frantically, anxiously. Now, this experience almost doesn't happen in our day and age. It would have happened to anybody whose kid is younger than 20. But my kids are 18, and gosh, you know, we took a mobile phone with us to the Easter show, and I won't do it for your sake, but we used to just scribe with a magic marker our mobile phone numbers on their belly. Just boom, boom, boom. So that if a three-year-old kid got lost, he just had to lift up his shirt or her shirt. And then they'd make, give us a call and, you know, you skip the lost tent. But I've had a kids lost from time to time. But these days, you know, you could if you wanted to. Pop a little air tag in their back. You've got iPhones. Find my phone. And more importantly, culturally, we live in nuclear families. You know, mum, dad, sometimes a single mum. But there's often one, two, three, maybe four kids. And when you go on a journey, you drive a small sedan. You, know, you could look back and say, is Johnny in the car? It happens so rarely. But then there would have been hundreds in the family party, traveling, and Jesus is on the threshold of manhood, so maybe Mary's thinking that Joseph is doing his duty as a father, maybe at the front of the caravan, hundreds of people. Maybe Joseph is thinking that Jesus has gone back with Mary, back with the kids. In any case, at the rendezvous place on the first night, the conversation, presumably, between Mary and Joseph turned south, south very quickly. I can see Joseph and Mary, I can see Joseph, because I know what I would do. I can see Joseph going, we didn't agree on this. <laughs> you know, let's not talk about who's to blame, let's just find him first. I can feel the conversation. But there it is, no little Yeshua. No, Joshua. Not anywhere. Not with a relative, verse 44. No friend has seen him since they were in Jerusalem, and so they head back frantically, we know. On the third day, the third day, like my heart is pounding, verse 46, they find him in the temple, calm as a cucumber, safe as houses. Verse 46 they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his insight, his understanding and his answers. Of course, everyone listening to this 12-year-old is amazed, although it's not uncommon then for rabbis to educate by questioning and listening, even to the young people, enjoying open-ended answers. But whatever Jesus is saying, it's clear the teachers are being schooled by his insight and wisdom, and everyone knows it. But like most parents, safety trumps everything. 
education, safety. They're not amazed, they're exasperated. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. The word is like astounded, like um, frustrated. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? In the original language, child. Why have you treated us like this? You know, you're on the cusp of manhood, but clearly you're still a child. You know, couldn't you have the presence of mind to inform us, you child? And my favorite, you can hear a mother saying it, your father and I, your father and I, have been anxiously searching for you. You shouldn't have done this, you disrespect us. And maybe you sh this is the time when you should have been learning from your father, and maybe Jesus says, I am learning from my father. Verse 49, calmly Jesus asked, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? My father's house is not in Nazareth. My father's house is the temple in Jerusalem, the navel of the world. It's interesting, the Greek, this was written in Greek, the translation is complex because the noun, house, is not there. Didn't, didn't you know I had to be about my father's, and the noun is not there, the things of my father. And uh, temple is a legitimate translation given where they are. It could also be, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business, his matters, the, the things he does. Turns out my father's business, his matters, is not carpentry, but what? The reform of Israel, the salvation of the world, beginning with teaching the kingdom of God. And maybe he's saying, look, Joseph, Dad, I love you. I'll obey you and honor you as the commandment says. You know that from verse 51. But my relationship with my heavenly father transcends even my relationship with you. By the way, if you don't fully understand this, you're in good company, verse 50. They did not understand what he was saying to them. I must be about my father's business. I had to be in my father's house. Whatever he means, they didn't get it. I wonder whether Joseph let it go, verse 51. They went down or up to Jerusalem with them, and he was obedient to them, but she didn't let it go. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And she clearly treasured this incident in her heart, for it is likely that we have this story and attending to it today in 2023 because she kept it in her heart. And she was able to recall it when Luke started his careful research of the extraordinary things that have happened among you. Two. Three, why was it treasure for a later day? Now, we don't know what Mary did with what she had kept in her heart, Luke doesn't come back to it. But the story is not about Mary. It was never about Mary. And Mary doesn't want it to be about Mary. It is about Jesus Christ, Saviour and Lord. If the story was about Mary, maybe Luke would have come back to this story. But we still catch a glimpse into her faith. And I wonder... If Mary was paying attention to the words of her son, we'll look at that next week, if she attended to the apostolic witness, she might have picked up the following things. One, Jesus is not Mary's private son. I can't think of any other way to say this, but I have two sons, you know, that will go into the world. 
but in one sense, they're still my boys. But Jesus was always going to teach the whole of Israel. He was always going to be the saviour of the world. He was always going to fly the ultimate nest away from his mother and his father. And in doing so, he opened up God for the world. Prophet Isaiah said, to us a child is born, not just to Mary. To us a son is given, not just to Joseph. Mary was always going to have to share him first. I wonder if she came back to that. Second, I wonder if she came back to this, that listening to her son, verse 46, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. I mean, this is not a, a 12... I mean, some 12-year-olds are profound... A lot of 12-year-olds are profoundly insightful. But something different is happening here. And Mary witnessed it. And I think Mary realized or would have realized very quickly that her son didn't just have information as if the accumulation of education was what mattered, but her son knew God and therefore he had insight and wisdom, not just mere information. And we need wisdom and insight, not just mere information. How great it would be if we simply followed Jesus at this point to listen and to ask questions, educated or uneducated. In fact, I dare say that some of the educated people in the world are some of the clo most closed people in the world. And some people who are uneducated are profoundly open and wise and insightful. To listen and ask questions, weighing up what is being said, engaging with it, asking good follow-up questions, straining and yearning and leaning forward for truth and righteousness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer nailed this when he said, to understand reality is not the same as to know about outward events. You can list extraordinary things with, with knowledge. Rather, to understand reality is to perceive the essential nature of things, to understand the world in which we live, God's world. The best informed man, he's writing, writing in the 1940s, but I couldn't change it, the best informed woman is not necessarily the wisest. Right, you can have a PhD and be profoundly stupid. Of course, everyone knows that. Indeed, there is a danger that precisely in the multiplicity of his, her knowledge, she or he will lose sight of what is essential. We need wisdom and insight, not just information. Third, Jesus opened up a new relationship with God. He called God his father. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's things, my, in my father's house? So personal. Indeed, Jesus is perhaps the first person to ever call God his father. In the pagan or the Greco-Roman world, you wouldn't dare do such a thing to God. And yet here Jesus is calling God his father. So personal. He called him Abba, Father. I can still remember age eight, when Graham Hughes, you know Graham? Graham plays the piano here from time to time. He's a doctor in the congregation, not here today. He's in Melbourne. His mother taught me Sunday school, since gone to glory. She'd be 100 and something years old now. And I can still hear her saying to me, when I was eight years old, in a foul little hall in Eastwood, St. Phillips at Eastwood, I can still hear her saying to me, 
what a privilege it is. I can hear her saying it. What a privilege it is to be able to call God our Father. And age eight, I was like, yeah, what are you talking about? The Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in, he- our Father which art in heaven. Doesn't, doesn't everybody know this? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I kept that moment as a treasure in my heart because I can still hear her. And now, my 50s, I realize how profound she was and how wrong the little eight-year-old was to shut it down. But I didn't shut it down, you see. It was kept in my heart. With Jesus being our brother, with adoption being the primary way of understanding our new relationship with God, we can call God our Father, not on the basis of Torah, but on the basis of faith. So Jesus takes us from the pious to the personal, from mere Christian values to faith in God. Do you call God your Father when you pray? How great the Father's love has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's how we began our service today. And lastly, I wonder if she later realized the time of Passover, that it happened. I wonder if that was treasured by Mary when all Israel remembered that a lamb must be sacrificed if the people are to be set free from their oppressor, indeed from their sins. That's what Joseph would have been instructing Jesus in that week around Jerusalem. And there Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem at Passover. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? I had to be in my father's house. I must be about his work. Jesus would later say, the son of man must suffer for the sins of the people. Lastly and finally, how can we be like Mary? Because we need to be like Mary in this regard, hearing a word from God and being open to something later. There is an order within Roman Catholicism where their motto is this, it's to think as Mary, judge as Mary, feel and act as Mary in all things. Now, despite the obvious, which is, I want to think as Jesus, judge as Jesus, feel and act as Jesus in all things. Despite the obvious, it's worth saying that the motto was developed in the 19th century where devotion to Mary was rapidly growing among Roman Catholics or at least being defined in papal bulls, etc. Now, remember in this series, we are not focusing on what others get wrong about her, as notable as the errors may be, and as clearly as my predecessors could articulate them, and they could. But still, to think about that motto, I take it will be impossible to think, judge, feel, and act as Mary in all things, simply because we do not have enough information about her. I don't know how you do it. In fact, I'm friends with the Catholic priest across the road, and he scratches his head at the motto, the Marist Fathers. But here in our text today, one simple thing to learn from Mary. When you do not understand something, don't react immediately. Don't toss it off the other side. Don't assume that immediate relevance makes something useful. I want you to think for a moment about something you find hard in Scripture. I say to you, keep it there. Treasure it. Don't reject it. Don't toss it overboard. Even if it seems strange, that's what faith does. You face God rather than self, and then you come back to it. Do not be a perpetual agnostic either. 
assuming there are no answers, come back to what you are learning quickly. Ask your brothers and sisters, hold these things deep within yourself, and then consider, reflect, inquire, thirst, be open to God. Pray about it, and at the right time, God will open your eyes like he opened Mary's eyes, and maybe you'll soon find yourself among Jesus' disciples, maybe even this afternoon, promoting the kingdom of God with all your heart. Let's pray. Father, keep us open like Mary to hearing your word, not always understanding, but keeping it for a later date. Answer our questions. Satisfy our thirst. Take our curiosity about things from above and show us Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.